This is Docs in the Box podcast. A podcast about medicine, muscles, and more through the eyes of two physiatrists. I'm Dr. Amy West. And I'm Dr. Matthew Cowling. Welcome to Docs in the Box podcast. We're joined today by Logan Aldridge and Alex Zirkenbach, two really cool guys, friends of mine, who are the co-founders of the Adaptive Training Academy. They are also badass adaptive athletes themselves. Probably the most underqualified guests on Doc in the Box podcast. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that because a lot of what you do and what we do are, are they overlap quite a bit. So we'll sure. get into that. Um, but yeah, so thanks for joining us. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And um, yeah, so I guess we'll sort of start off by having you guys introduce yourselves and sort of how you came to be adaptive athletes. Like what's your, what's your, what was your journey to adaptive athletics and CrossFit? Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. So I'll try to paraphrase. I'm a talker. Um, and so that's my strong suit between the relationship between Alec and I here. Uh, but I'll try to dumb down my, my journey, my story. Um, to a brief version that makes sense here. First of all, uh, great to see you, Amy, Matt. Love seeing you guys. Hate that it's having to be over Zoom, but it's been way too long. So uh, good to connect, regardless of how I do it. Um, so yeah, I, you know, 13 years old, lost my arm in a boating accident. I was uh, an up and coming competitive wakeboarder. Uh, I, I didn't just treat it as like this thing you do on the weekend. I, I really did. I was obsessed with it and I wanted to become a professional wakeboarder. Um, so my, my parents were young recreational skiers, so I was exposed to it a lot when I was really young. We got a lake house, got a wakeboard boat, fell in love. That's all I did. So when I was 13, a uh, typical training day wrapped up and, um, long story short, the rope ended up getting wrapped around my arm as I was kind of tidying up the boat. So I wasn't actually riding. I was just standing on the boat, pulling in the rope. Uh, and basically the rope was wrapped around my arm, trying to do that over the thumb, under the elbow sort of thing we do with extension cords or whatever. And the end of the rope got caught in the propeller, causing it to just suck all the rope in and cause an instant tourniquet around my upper arm. Uh, and the rope was really like a cable. So uh, just, just sliced down to the bone. Um, and I was rushed to the local hospital and blah, blah, blah. They tried surgeries, got blood flow, couldn't get the muscles firing. So they had to amputate uh, above the elbow. And I was, uh, I was my dominant arm. I was left-handed. So like friends and family were, you know, if, if you know Logan, if you knew Logan before the accident, oh my God, I was um, kind of rebellious, uh, kind of what you would call a punk. Uh, I just loved extreme sports. And that's hence the reason I was trying to go professional and wakeboarding, I think. Uh, but I loved extreme sports for the challenge and for how different they were, specifically snowboarding, surfing, skateboarding. So I spent all my time doing it. Um, so, you know, losing my arm, my parents and friends were like, oh my God, what is Logan uh, going to do? Is he going to be, is he going to perceive his life as I'm disabled now? Um, I need help to do things. Uh, nobody really knew. I was super thankful that I had uh, an awesome mom who instilled, I think, the most important words in me uh, when I was in that moment, literally in the ambulance wondering, oh my God, is my arm about to get chopped off? Uh, I remember asking my mom those words saying, mom, what if I lose my arm? Uh, as it just crossed my mind because I couldn't feel it. It was numb, laying on my body and all these things. And without a, a skipping a beat, she just said, Logan, it's just an arm. 
um, in those words, uh, how emotional I'm sure she was when saying them and using them as a way for her to kind of uh, come to terms with what's happening with her son here uh, was a was the epitome of my uh, mindset, my attitude, uh, my approach to recovery, uh, to losing an arm. And it was simply that. It was, hey, you know what? Yeah, I lost an arm. Yeah, okay, it was my dominant arm. All right, I, I, I was writing for a few years, but no big deal. I'm 13 years old. There's a lot of life left. So the motto was, it's just an arm. Um, and that, that translated into me living a life with one arm. Uh, I got back into all the things I did with two, went back to wakeboarding, went back to playing all the sports, went on to college, found myself becoming quite interested in additive manufacturing, 3D printing and its relation to prosthetics and orthotics. So studied that in school, uh, graduated and gosh, you know, did the whole um, corporate work thing, worked for an awesome IT company, quickly realized that wasn't for me, started my own consulting firm, and then started to realize that there was this movement happening within CrossFit specifically. There were adaptive athletes, which is a new term I hadn't heard of before, um, that I thought sounded pretty cool. Uh, I'm very well aware of Paralympians and uh, was always into athletics. But as I saw this emerge in this uh, type of fitness called CrossFit, which I was very familiar with, I was like, let me look more into this. And uh, when I looked into it, I started to find some of the, the beginning players, the people like Chris Stoutenberg and people who were in CrossFit in the very beginning and uh, were either seated athletes and adapting for themselves or uh, in the beginning stages of creating community. Uh, and I knew that my mission was going to be to use myself as a test subject to see what I can and can't do, where I can be creative and come up with solutions. And um, gosh, that's been six years in the making. And here we are with ATA. And uh, I could go on longer, but I'll try to hand it over to Alec and let him tell you who he is as a person. So just real quick, Logan, this is pretty good. The first time I ever met you, or I think of the first time I saw you actually in action was at the one ton challenge during the CrossFit games. Oh yeah. I remember just thinking, oh my God, this guy, I wanted to go back to the rehab hospital, um, you know, and I'm a physiatrist like Amy and go find every single amputee I ever had and just show them and just be like, okay, like literally look at the things that you're capable of. Um, and then we ended up catching up at the winter classic and you were telling this story um, and I thought, oh my God, again, and since, you know, you and both of you um, are both leading by example in this, you know, field, and we're able to show our patients these videos and stuff and say, hey, look, there's people out here doing it and leading the way. So it's an amazing thing. That's so cool. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that's, yeah, we've seen the, the really cool uh, inadvertent effect of some of our actions through, you know, the beautiful powers of social media and how it can uh, kind of change people's perception of what's really possible. Uh, that's a lot of what we're doing through the academy. And I'll piggyback up, this is Alec. I'll piggyback on that and introduce myself as well, but what you just said and what Logan just said is changing perception of people with disabilities. That's, that's the sole reason we exist, to challenge that status quo of perceptions of people with disabilities and what they can and can't do, right? And we're just, we're looking at it from the fitness and health perspective, but we hope that that leads into, you know, people with disabilities living happy, you know, lives, doing whatever they want to do. And that could be, you know, eventually going out and playing some sports or getting into other, you know, physical activities 
And we just, we just deal with the health and the fitness aspect to get them engaged in other things to be able to go express that fitness, whatever way they want to do. And currently right now, it seems to be that people with disabilities, you know, are looked down upon, like they have some sort of pathology, there's something wrong with them and that they can't participate in, you know, regular sports, normal sports or activities, whatever it may be, you know? So, um, I got started into adaptive fitness or CrossFit. Um, I really got forced back into CrossFit. I was a CrossFitter before uh, my injuries. I was, a, I was an officer in the Navy for 10 years. And about my seven year mark, had some really bad injuries um, with my lower right leg and a back injury at the same time. So had a crush injury with my lower right leg, developed really, really bad compartment syndrome um, from a tip-fib ankle fractures, and also had a fall at the same time. So L4, 5, S1, um, ruptured discs. So I had spine surgery and I had tib fib surgery and really bad compartment syndrome. So they gave me fasciotomies down both sides of my shin. Uh, but it was a little bit too late for that soft tissue. And so the lower right nerves and a lot of soft tissue muscle, uh, were necrotic and had to be cut out. And so to this day, I can't feel or use my right foot and I don't have any, uh, range of motion just from screws and things being set. And then uh, actually my worst injury, which you know, dogs me to these days is my back injury. So those lower back discs, you know, really are what I have to be cautious of from time to time. So if you were just to look at me, if I had pants on, you'd never know I had any injuries whatsoever, which I'd love people to understand. That's probably a, a teaching point you should know about adaptive athletes is, you know, you look at Logan, he's doesn't have a left arm. <laughs> you know, when we roll around with uh, Logan, and Kevin Ogar, who's on our seminar staff, and Chris Stoutenberg, you know, they all, we go to dinner and people look at us like, oh man, these guys, they just went to war and they're back. Look at them. Like, thank you for your service. And, you know, and oh, it's, it's uh, they look at me like, oh, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, who are you? So just be aware out there, trainers, you know, physios, anybody, you know, don't take, uh, you know, the, what somebody looks like for having an ability level that you may perceive. So, mm-hmm. Awesome. So how did you guys come up with the ATA and how did it sort of come to be? So we, um, I, because of my injuries in the Navy, uh, I stayed in for about two more years and I didn't really finish my story, but I, I didn't walk for almost a year due to those, the soft tissue damage in my leg and my back. And it wasn't until somebody essentially forced me to go back to a CrossFit gym and I was really scared to go back. Um, cause I knew what CrossFit was and I had trained it prior to my injuries and I thought there's no way I can do what I used to be able to do. And so I was essentially tricked and forced to go back to a gym. And, uh, when I went back, I realized, you know, I was being harder on myself than anybody else would have been. And I, I could do things not to what the level I used to be able to do, but I, you know, I was going to get back to it. So first day, I think we did squats and I was doing barbell squats to a box and it was really hard for me. I was out of breath and everybody there was cheering me on and giving me pats on the back and, you know, we're going to see you tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, sure. I guess so. And so that was just the start of my rehab really got me literally back on my feet. And I was able to stay in the Navy for another two more years, <clears throat> did another tour, but then I got medically retired. And when I was getting out, I think just like Logan was saying, like I, I thought about going to business school, all my friends are doing that and it didn't really appeal to me. So, I wanted to open my own CrossFit gym that had served me just like that other gym and give a space for people with injuries to come and be able to have a great place to work out. They know it's safe. They know it's a, a welcoming, supportive community. And so I opened my own gym in 2012 
in San Diego and then ran that. And from the start, started working with Balboa Naval Hospital um, and worked with their Wounded Warrior Battalion and had a weekly class for people to come over. They would actually bus people over and it was an actual appointment where they could come and take a, a fitness class with us. And they would come and, you know, we would just make things work. We would have people, you know, wheelchair users, we'd have amputees, people with TBIs, just maybe PTSS. And we would just make sure everybody had a great workout, you know, got a chance to, you know, get those endorphins going. And from that experience of just trial, literally trial and error, I had no physio background. You know, my undergrad is not in, you know, medical or any kind of thing like that that would lead me to be able to do this. It was just trial and error and figuring things out and talking with people. And um, then in 2016, CrossFit asked us to create a course to teach other trainers how to do this training. And that led me to reaching out to like Kevin Ogar and Logan, Chris Stoutenberg. And so we wrote that course for CrossFit and it was initially the CrossFit specialty course, adaptive training. We ran that till 2019 and in summer 2019, um, they switched their agreements with specialty course providers. And so we became independent and that's when we created ATA. It was kind of a whirlwind because they told us, you know, hey, we're going to stop doing the specialty course program, um, but you also have about two months to get everything set up and get things going. So we had to create uh, a new company, website, registration portals, you know, everything in like a two month span. Um, but we were able to do it and then we just continue to offer the same course um, just without CrossFit doing the registration and the admin side. Nice. Logan, can you talk a little bit about how you and Alec got linked up and some recent things you guys have been doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, on that note in, and how Adaptive Training Academy came about really um, a little over uh, a year ago when we became our own entity, you know, a, a lot has um, transformed since then. But to take you back even before then, you know, when uh, CrossFit was creating this course, uh, I remember Alec reaching out to me and having an initial phone call um, and just kind of getting a sense for where, where gauging where I was at with my thoughts and vision on what this could become with education uh, for this population. And um, I think that call went on for almost two hours. I remember sitting in my driveway. He remembers on the sidewalk he was walking on while we talked uh, because we clicked. A lot of things made sense. We saw the bigger picture and um, the kind of 5,000 foot view of what this should become in the future. And that was before we knew this would happen and we would become our own organization and have opportunity to, to reach directly to therapists and individuals outside of the, the trainers of CrossFit. Um, but in that conversation, I think we both realized that, okay, we're in this, this community of CrossFitters, typically those who are into doing hard things. Uh, typically those who are, are into, have grit and like challenges, right? That, that CrossFitter mentality, um, that, that type A personality a lot of the times. Within that, we have a subset, a growing subset of adaptive individuals within the CrossFit community specifically, like a very strong community of that growing within there. And I was witnessing that. I was, I was so fortunate to be a part of it. And everyone was always welcomed with arms wide open. And so it was so cool to be a part of this tiny niche community. And I think my perspective and Alex was, we see what we need to develop for the trainers within CrossFit. But this is a platform that is very welcoming, generally speaking, and very inclusive. And the way in which we're asking you to train is through function of your native anatomy, through your body. 
So when we uh, implement just these top level general principles of what it means to work with somebody with a disability in that space, it starts to make more sense than maybe a spin class or something else. So we were talking and realizing that, yes, there's an opportunity to train these trainers and to make CrossFit safer, more effective, most effective and inclusive for people with disabilities. But additionally, how do we get more people with disabilities to realize going into the doors of a CrossFit gym is a good thing uh, and is available to them? So then I think the, the bigger realization was, how do we take this education, serve this population, make it practical? You take it. Maybe you have your L1, maybe you don't. Maybe you've never been a trainer, but you want to work with this population in your gym uh, and you have a relative who has a disability. So you want to learn this education. Uh, but once the trainers are empowered, and it's a big part of our mission is empowerment through education, we've got to get the people with disabilities off the couch. Now, I think we're a little jaded because we're exposed to the adaptive athletes in CrossFit who love challenges. They've got one leg and they say, no, I'm not reducing the rep on squats. I'm going to just do them all pistols. You know, there's just hard charging people that we, that we typically see when you look at all these awesome competitions like Wheelwad and Wadapalooza and all that, which is awesome. And like you were mentioning earlier, Matt, I think it's really cool because it's a great resource to expose to people who are either first experiencing an onset injury or illness that's going to be a permanent impairment for the rest of their lives. Now they see this community and they see the empowerment that comes from it and the capability of these individuals, which sometimes exceeds some of the expectations that might get placed in the hospital on the individual of what they are capable of. So it's so cool to see you all using this platform to share with more doctors that this sort of thing is happening. And back to the question and explaining how we met and why I think it made a lot of sense is that was the vision. The vision was, yes, we need more CrossFit affiliates to be adaptive training certified and inclusive to this population. But once we do all that, if we have every CrossFit affiliate certified and trained, Yes, they, it is on them as well to go in their communities and talk to their local hospitals and work with the VA and create the partnerships. But we also need to empower the adaptive athletes to get off the couch. The adaptive athlete, that that's definition and that word that we use is an empowering one to people who might, may, may have never moved in an athletic way in their life because of their disability or because of their perception of their disability. So we've got to encourage them to realize that they can and uh, I think that is our responsibility. So it's a bridge. It's a bridge that we're trying to connect from two different sides. Uh, the trainers, the medical professionals, the, the therapists of the world, the, the whole perspective, and then the, the individual with a disability, living with a disability. Uh, the cultural, societal expectation, and also just uh, their own psychological expectation of access to that fitness. And ATA is hoping to uh, connect that bridge and. And I, I think you all, you know, I think this is stuff that um, you all nod your heads to because it's stuff you see all the time as CrossFitters and in that medical space that, uh, um, yeah, we're, we're trying to be good stewards of what you all practice all the time. And hopefully we do an okay job for you. Well, CrossFit is a great, the way I see it anyway, CrossFit is a great extension of the rehab space. So we, we work, Matt and I both work in physiatry and rehab medicine and, and actually how I was introduced to the rehab medicine was through working with amputees um, from the Boston Marathon bombing. I kind of was, I was as a student at the time um, and as physiatrists, like our job is to answer the question sort of, okay, what's next? You've gotten over the injury. So like, what now? 
and um, CrossFit and fitness is sort of the, is one of those answers. And it's like, okay, well, you've you moved beyond rehab, and now here's here's a new way to continue to be functional in the world outside of a medical space. So I think what you guys are doing is sort of making that more formal and 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 spreading that, which is which is great for for us certainly, um, but I think for the community at large. Um, I mean, likewise, you're, you're the hero. You what you guys are doing is the coolest thing. I mean, that is that is amazing. Uh, and if you know, I'd like to think if I I'd like to think I might have the mental capacity if I go back and do it all over again, I might have gone down that route because uh, it serves exactly the need and mission we're trying to. Uh, uh, but I hope we can be good stewards as the kind of uh, know nothing brains, but just from experience, we're just trying to continue to absorb and learn from you guys and from everyone that we that we collaborate and work with. I think that's the most incredible part about putting an online course onto the line onto the internet is the feedback we've gotten the the individuals and the organizations that have reached out and said wait a second i didn't know this sort of education existed uh yes we're relevant to crossfit or they might not be relevant to crossfit for example we just did uh fairfax county school system in in virginia we did their entire uh, elementary public school system all of their therapists uh, adaptive physical education teachers took our course in order to apply the principles uh, with kids. And so it's really cool to see now how uh, this education, I think uh, a lot of individuals didn't know that this is something like this could exist or did exist. Um, and it's broader than, than just getting people into CrossFit boxes. Uh, it's helping make inclusive and accessible environments in elementary public school systems, which I never would have expected to have uh, that sort of impact or opportunity. And I mean, wow, like talk about feeling purpose-driven and the impact we're having. I mean, that that was the coolest experience for us to have with 96 teachers uh, and their feedback. A lot of OTs and PTs and their feedback just uh, jumping up and down with uh, the practical application to, to, their, to their work. Also the idea of taking the, it's not necessarily crossfit quote unquote but it's you know it's functional fitness functional movement so call it what you whatever you will but it's important that people learn it regardless so i think taking that name off of it sometimes makes it more accessible more agreeable to, to people so yeah. for example in a, in a school yeah, district Amy, i agree when when we had when we started off we were the crossfit specialty course so we were just teaching how to adapt and how to make an inclusive setting in a crossfit gym when we made it independent in 2019, we had to scrub anything CrossFit from the course as a part of the agreement. And, you know, what we, we really didn't change much in the course, but what we had to add was then we had to explain to people who don't do CrossFit what functional movements were and, and why you should use them, um, much like CrossFit explains why you should use functional movements. You know, they're inherently safe uh, and they're necessary for life. And we believe the same. So we don't really care at ETA what people do for fitness, as long as it leads to increasing somebody's health, as long as it leads to increased fitness. So, you know, if they find that somebody needs to, in the beginning, maybe use machines because it helps with range of motion or it helps with, you know, control of an object, then fine, go for it. But, you know, we should be using functional movements when possible um, because that leads to the most transference to you know, activities of daily living, you know, ADLs, IADLs, and that gets your most bang for your buck. Whether you're a, a physiotherapist or a, just a fitness trainer, 
you know, that if you have a short amount of time with somebody, try to do multi-joint functional movements and you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And so um, that's really the only change we had to do when we went outside of CrossFit and became independent was just explaining to, to non-CrossFitters, you know, why they should do these functional movements and how beneficial they really are. So kind of on that same note, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the barrier to entry into things like CrossFit and some, some higher level activities, because, you know, I think the Paralympics have done a lot for a lot of sport and, and athletes to be able to see this, but some things like CrossFit, um, for example, you know, people will walk or drive by a CrossFit gym and they see people doing crazy things, right? Like, you know, swinging on rings, handstand pushups, stuff like that. And they think to themselves, like the average person thinks, oh, I could never go in there and I could never do that. And the big issue, or I should say the barrier is just getting them in the door and then learning there's things they can do. They can still get a good stimulus and a good workout. And I think when we take some of the adaptive athletes we see or, you know, brand new amputees like Logan was talking about, that's the last thing that they're thinking about is being able to do something like that. And I think it's just one big part of it is how do we get them in the door and show them that, hey, you can take part in class and you can do things just like everybody else. There are things that can be modified, adapted. We can, you know, give you the same stimulus. And I think educating the therapists is a great thing. What are some ideas you guys have of other ways that we can provide education? I mean, is it, you know, I think it's the role, our role as well as physicians to talk to them about what are your plans to be active? Here's some things you can do. I mean, what are the resources out there? I know you guys have a website, right? And you have the training course. Yeah, I, that's, that's a great question. That's, that's what we're trying to solve, really. That's the problem that ATA is trying to solve. And like Logan was talking about, it's, it's really an education um, problem that we see most often. So uh, even physiotherapists, PTs, OTs, RTs, they don't really understand fitness to the level that maybe they probably should for most of them in their education. And so it feels like if you're going, if you go through a trauma and then you're released from your therapy or care, then you're kind of left out in the, in the real world, like on your own and not really knowing what to do. So, you know, we're, we're hoping to educate the trainers in the gyms so that they understand how to be able to work in general with adaptive athletes and how they can adapt and modify movements for them to make it best, to make it safe. Uh, and to make sure they can come in and be inclusive. But we also need to get to the physical therapists, like you were saying, um, to educate them, to let them know there is a safe way you can train and there can be a handoff between the two. You know, if you're going through that trauma, you know, there's a lot of adaptive athletes that aren't trauma-based. And in that case, you know, we're trying to spread and show what's potentially possible. One of the ways is through competitions. So uh, events like Wadapalooza have been absolutely amazing for adaptive athletes. It's the only sanctional that we know of that has a truly adaptive division where adaptive athletes are competing against other, other adaptive athletes in their own division with their own adapted workouts. And so um, our team at ATA and Wheelwad together are going to be expanding that. So hopefully working with Granite Games um, and some other big competitions. And we're also right now in a project that's uh, kind of standardizing adaptive fitness competition. So um, it's not, you can't just take uh, an able body event and just adapt it down to, let's say a seated, you know, lower spinal cord injury event, because it doesn't always, it doesn't make sense. You have to sometimes create an, a specific event for a spinal cord injury, you know, or, or wheelchair user event, seated athletes. Um, so I think that's one way we can help is to get the advocacy and show what's potentially possible, you know, just get it out there. You know, Logan's doing a great job. He's, you know, he's very humble, but Logan has a lot of good partnerships. You know, he's a Nike athlete 
and he's doing, uh, hopefully he's going to be in the Nike training app. He's always out there and Nike's trying to show what his possibilities are through different uh, venues. And so I think if we just get the word out and let people see what's potentially possible that not to go on and on. But the last thing that the one other barrier to entry is obviously cost. So cost specifically for the athlete. So people with disabilities tend to have higher medical costs, cost of living in general. And so, you know, a gym membership, you know, maybe as something like planet fitness, is super cheap, but they're not going to get the care they need to be able to do stuff there. So, you know, a good trainer at like a CrossFit gym, it's going to cost you because it's, it's the worth the money you're going to get. But, you know, there's tons of additional costs for people with disabilities. You know, not insurance doesn't cover everything you would expect to cover as far as equipment and everyday aids and things. So I don't know, Logan, do you have any other thoughts on how we can get more awareness? No, I, I love the question, Matt. And I think, yes, everything you said, Alec, absolutely. But Again, to that sort of uh, bridge perspective, um, we're equipping everyone. And like you said, Matthew, like it's, there's a lot of intimidation. I don't care, able body, it doesn't matter. You look into a CrossFit gym and it's intimidating, especially with someone with this disability. But to that effect, I believe that if we are staying on our course of why we do this sort of fitness, is because it drastically increases our real world task accomplishment and independence and quality of life. Uh, once you get over the trauma of the impairment that exists for you for life, um, you're, you're exactly as Alec was mentioning, you've gone through therapy, you're back into some independence, some ADLs and IADLs. I think this is when, however long for the individual, and we're trying to make that this window very short when they think that this is it, okay, now this is my new normal. This is my new life. This is how I function um, within just being able to do these daily tasks. And we're saying, no, 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 you, you can pursue like greater fitness for yourself. You can adapt your body and change and reduce these limitations that are imposed on you. Um, and so I think, I think our fitness is seen less as holy crap, they're throwing that heavy barbell over their head and swinging around on those rings. Um, and I think if we do well, specifically within the functional fitness space, it's seen as like, oh, this is the way to go. But like Alex said, uh, if you want to be a marathon runner, like then, then run marathons. We'll educate you on things to watch out for if you're an AK and you're running every day, all day. But um, yeah, I, I think barriers of entry into pursuing GPP is just the psychological uh, the, their own internal dialogue within themselves of, can I do this? Am I capable of doing this? I, I'm on disability and I, I've been told to stay home and, you know, it's the, 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 what they're told to do oftentimes try to go for a walk for an hour, get on your feet for an hour. Um, we think, you know, we can dose it, dose it better, like make it fun. And I think our approach making adaptive fitness, you know, to, to y'all's, uh, I listened to your podcast with, um, Dr. Nathan, um, Jenkins and just to his, just to the conversation you all were having, um, in regards to, um, any individual and like the standard protocol to fitness and what that is. And instead saying something like, I think his example was, um, I just need 10 minutes and, you know, five, and all you're working for is five minutes. Um, you talk about somebody with a disability and you say in 10 minutes, and all you're going to work for is five minutes 
we're going to do this thing and it's going to increase ultimately long-term your quality of life, independence, and functionality. Uh, for, for able-bodied people, it's like, uh, I mean, okay, I got my limbs. I got, I can do things with my body. Okay. I, I want to look better, get the six pack and all that. But for the, uh, the population with disabilities, I think it is, and this word is overused. I hate to overuse it, but it's true. It's just so empowering. Um, once you, once you feel confident on the tool, you have the tools and capability to go execute a workout that is written an able-bodied one. And you understand how to make the appropriate adaptations for your, your, your condition or impairment. Um, man, is that empowering. And that's like a lifelong tool that allows you to live a lifelong, uh, functional life. And another point on top of that is also doing these exercises and making it easier for people with disabilities to be more active also works to prevent chronic disease. And we often forget that people who have had a traumatic injury also get diabetes. They also have high blood pressure. In fact, more so than, you know, quote unquote, able-bodied people. So um, can you speak to how, you've been working in, in, in that sort of space as well. Well, I mean, gosh, that's what got me. That's what got me to leave my 3d printing consulting company. And I was working in orthotics and prosthetics. Um, I was, uh, it was, it was doing awesome. I was doing great in North Carolina, implementing that technology with tons of practices. And, and I was this patient liaison. So I'd implement it for the practitioners and then would also, you know, be the guide for the patients. And man was, and you know, I live, I'm here in Raleigh, North Carolina, sort of the Southeast. There's, we drink a lot of sweet tea. Uh, and man, was I, uh, uh, was, were my eyes open? I thought most people I would see as amputees would be like me. Something really unfortunate happened. And I'm here to tell them, hey, that's all right. You can bounce back. There's all this stuff. I quickly realized that most was absolutely chronic disease and most was even if it was a trauma related impairment and then it was onset of just, okay, I can't do anything now. I have to sit in my chair all day long and never try to wear this prosthetic. So um, I had the uh, realization that I was trying to solve a problem near the end of the issue and the health and the well-being of the person understanding how to ward off chronic disease through activity and maybe just some cognitive, you know, intention with your nutrition, but not even so much, just mostly activity. Like I, I'm no nutrition expert. Trust me. I don't even attempt to talk on that, but just the activity portion. And uh, that's when, you know, my real journey and transition from thinking I was going to have this career in aiding amputees through the OMP process was into health, wellness, and fitness. Um, and gosh, since, since our time in doing that, yes, we work with people with disabilities, but we've also been uh, a really cool resource for individuals whose mission is to empower those who are morbidly obese and those who are attempting to fight chronic disease. They're using us as an educational resource to show how customizable activity and fitness can be uh, in order just to create encouragement for you to get off of the couch and to start moving. Um, so, you know, again, that's, that's at the core of, uh, I think the problem that people with disabilities face and the developing of chronic disease is the encouragement, the access to the empowerment of fitness. And what is that? Is that an, is that, 
making virtual stuff so accessible, you know, the world we're in right now, it definitely is. Right. And, and how limited is that? You know, you see every, every uh, trainer offering zoom fitness classes for sure. But how prevalent is that within the adaptive community? How many adaptive fitness programs are there available in a time of quarantining and isolation? So uh, I think moving forward and even without the pandemic, if you think about this population, they're probably pretty isolated most of the time. I mean, if you think about that, uh, there's some really interesting statistics and I don't mean to keep rambling on, but I think it makes, it makes this make more sense. But uh, in the United States, if one 61 million people have a disability, and so that's one in four people. Um, so most of us should be able to think that one in four acquaintances or individuals we know has a disability. Uh, and that's not the case. That's um, for certain not the case. So I think we've created a culture, uh, regardless of the pandemic, regardless of coronavirus, there's a culture of um, isolation for people with disabilities. So that's the real barrier to entry is getting them empowered to get off the couch and to feel confident that they have inclusion and access to fitness. Look, everybody, I think everybody um, struggles with nutrition and fitness, just about everybody in, in the world, right? So trying to figure out how to do it takes a while. Nutrition takes a long time to figure out. Um, and we have a lot of diseases that come from just basic poor health, uh, poor fitness training, poor nutrition. Now, add on top of that, you have a significant impairment like an amputation or spinal cord injury or some term, type of neurological condition. You know, it just makes it that much harder to do that fitness when maybe the trainers don't understand how to work with you or they're scared about hurting you. You don't know if there's a gym that can take care of you. So it just really compounds when you have some type of a, um, a disability or impairment. Yeah, I think the role of bringing people into these fitness communities is so important. I mean, like you guys are saying, chronic disease is the, this huge burden we have, right? And it's like one of the big ways we can help to combat that is to get people around other like-minded individuals and get them moving. And that's, that's the huge issue that we all face, right? Um, with our patients, you know, with clients, with people coming in, it's, it's really hard to, to manage that. I want to talk really quick about something you'd mentioned um, a little while ago about equipment and that barrier. So if, um, you know, amputees are worried about or, you know, people with other disabilities are worried about their equipment um, and then taking part in activity. Here we have um, the University of Wisconsin and they have an adaptive athletics department. Um, and we can send people where they can go there and they can look at their equipment and if it breaks, you know, they can have help. Are there resources out there for people? Um, and where can they find that information if people need to? Or is that a concern you guys have seen come up? Great question. You know, when we talk about equipment, we're, we're talking about, you know, maybe specific training equipment, but that's more rare. What's most common equipment-wise is just their, you know, their prosthetic or their, their you know, everyday chair or equipment that they have. Um, and typically that is to their orthotist, prosthetist, or wheelchair designer manufacturer. You know, what I really get caught up on, and I, I will have to like really bite my tongue here because I'll go down a crazy rabbit hole, um, is like the cost of this stuff. And these individuals, we talk about cost as a barrier of entry, and yes, equipment is a part of the, the cost of barrier of entry. Um, but man... Like if you want to ambulate as an above knee amputee, you need to have thousands of dollars to spend so that you can have a leg. 
Like, how does that make sense? How is that fair that in order to just attempt to function, you have to have a tremendous amount of money? And that's thousands of dollars if you have really good healthcare coverage because the leg will be 50 grand. So like, that's where I, um, I am really frustrated, Matt, and I don't have a good answer on behalf of ATA other than, you know, great nonprofits like Challenge Athletes Foundations that exist that help, you know, donate millions of dollars to um, millions of individuals to either support with additional prosthetics for sports specific stuff or to repair equipment for them. Uh, and I, I would just encourage anyone who's faced with that challenge to first look locally in their community. There's a lot of great, either like your example in uh, University of Wisconsin, um, there's a lot of great resources. Um, um, more and more universities are implementing adaptive programs, which is very cool. We're very fortunate to have on our faculty, uh, the director of sports performance from um, University of Alabama and their adaptive athletics department. Um, so we're, we're in the loop on some of that, but um, no, unfortunately we don't have a, I don't have a, a great resource or answer on uh, equipment needs and repair and maintenance. Yeah, I think it's something that we could use a lot of work on. I'm sure, um, Amy, you see this as well. But the issue with equipment breaking and things like that, people are concerned about it. But just letting the physicians out there listening know, coaches know, there are resources um, that we can give people where they can find help and get the stuff taken care of. So that's not another issue that they're not exercising because they're worried about, you know, breaking their prosthesis. Yeah, I mean, that's a very real concern, as you can imagine. Uh, that's normally the biggest fear from a trainer's perspective, working with a new adaptive athlete that is dependent on a piece of equipment. Um, it is critical that we do not damage that. This is something, a topic we go over uh, in our course, obviously uh, it's important to discuss, but um, these are tough considerations because unfortunately, the way insurance works and the way uh, those pieces of equipment are provided and it's just not, it's not very efficient, but hopefully we have a, a prop, an answer to that problem in the near future. That sort of brings back to a point that you had said before, um, when talking to, uh, you know, sort of kind of try, trying to take the, the CrossFit name out of things and sort of just relaying the idea of how important functional fitness is, um, and, sort of, I guess, how you go about that. Because I, I mean, I was, I did all my training at Spalding Rehab. So they have a huge adaptive sports division and it's wheelchair basketball, it's ice hockey, it's seated volleyball, it's um, sailing. I mean, you name it, they do it at, at adaptive, an adaptive version of it. Um, but you say at the time when I was there, was sort of dropping this idea of adaptive CrossFit. And it was like, well, no, that's dangerous. We'll break things but get on a sailboat, you know? And it was like, wait, it's where <laughs> I was try trying to make that connection for, I think health professionals can be difficult sometimes. So I guess how you go about that or. Very interesting Andy, that you bring that up because we feel the same way, right? So there, there are hundreds, if not thousands of organizations across the U S that assist people with disabilities and in getting involved in sports, which is absolutely amazing, completely necessary. And I applaud their efforts. What we're missing though, is the preliminary part where people get prepared to do sports, right? So like that's the fitness part that would prepare them to do sports. Yeah, you can use some sports and recreation as fitness for sure, but we're missing the part where we're giving them their base, you know, movement patterns and technique, um, base aerobic and anaerobic fitness 
strength, right? And how to pick things up, put things down safely, get in and out of their chair or ambulate or climb stairs. That needs to be accomplished first before we start giving them some super expensive, you know, road bike or hand cycle and then being like, all right, this is, this is what you do now. Now you hand cycle. Well, that's great. But let's, let's go back to the base and, and increase our functionality through fitness so that they can express themselves in sports and in recreation and doing other things. So um, I, I think sports are absolutely amazing. Before I found CrossFit, all I did was just play things. I never really worked out. I just played any kind of sport that had a ball, I, I'd play it. That was my fitness. But then when I got injured, I realized, oh crap, like I can't play all the sports that I used to be wanting to be able to play to the same level and I may actually re-injure myself. So I really have to figure out how to do fitness properly to be able to keep the same level that I was at before. So, I, sorry, Amy, I forget what your question was. That my mind went straight to that response. No, no that, I mean, essentially what? Um, well, I, I just wanted to say something on that too, because, you know, um, basically the challenge of using that word CrossFit and the, the opportunities and organizations and places we've gone with our education and this type of training uh, has been really cool um, because um, for example, you know, we're, we're so honored and fortunate to be a partner with the VA and the VA did, had a um, national veteran wheelchair games over the summer. And that was awesome. It was uh, like a functional fitness competition, you know, easy term that replaces CrossFit often. But what we just did recently, um, was really neat. It was the national veteran summer sports clinic at home. So, you know, trying to come up with a solution because we can't travel and bring everybody together. It's typically in San Diego and Alec uh, is a huge part of that, but we did it virtually. And, you know, our, we offered, uh, you know, a full day of all these different teams came through and did virtual training with us. It was awesome. Um, they had a great time, but we didn't call it adaptive CrossFit. Um, it was actually called foundations training for them because the mission was I only had one interaction with this group of veterans. Uh, in one hour. And in that one hour, I wanted to give them a dose of great fitness, um, this CrossFit style, uh, this Metcon style, but I also wanted to educate them on what really the importance and why a warm up is necessary. And then what the workout is based on that warm up, and then the importance of a cool down. So within that hour, I just gave them a foundational knowledge of what you can do to go do fitness. Like you can apply this to any type of movement, discipline, methodology, whatever, but like warm up sometimes, approach this. We actually, like just to tell you, we specifically introduced them to Tabata and they loved Tabata, never heard of it. They never thought of this 20 on, 10 off. And that was just the concept and how you can, in four minutes, four minutes, look at how much your arms can burn from push-ups, you know, something like that, right? So um, it was just a cool dose of fitness that we used and we didn't, you know, it wasn't CrossFit focused. We didn't do Fran and stuff, which look, I love CrossFit. I, I tell you, I am the definition of a CrossFitter. You know, I talk about it all the time to everyone and tell them to come do it. I have a freaking full affiliate in my garage, pretty much. Uh, I want everyone to CrossFit, but I don't want to force anyone to come do CrossFit. I don't want anyone, even though it worked for me, like, like drag me in. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. Well, make me go and I'll love it. I don't want to force people, especially with disabilities. So I think the soft introduction is that we're teaching you foundational fitness for life. Uh, and ultimately, once they enjoy it, and once they want to get challenged a little bit more, all of a sudden they realize you're doing an adaptive CrossFit. Yeah, and that idea of not forcing people to do it is kind of interesting because people are doing it every day. They don't realize it, right? 
um, and helping people see that. So one of the uh, things from the uh, training course that you guys did uh, that I went to um, is when Kevin Ogar, he, he basically is on the floor and he's basically saying like to do a floor transfer for me to get in my chair from the floor is essentially equivalent to a muscle up for you know, a standing person. Right. This idea that the, the same sort of principles and stimulus to be able to do that activity is similar to what we would do sort of as exercise fun, right? But right. Like, needs to be able to know how to do that. Um, and help, helping people see that, I think it, it, it's hard at times and I, it, it can be frustrating because I don't think everyone gets it. <laughs> exactly, no, you're exactly right. And, um, and additionally, or stimulus-wise, it may, may transfer from the floor to the chair may be very much like a muscle-up for an able-bodied individual. It's functionality-wise very much like a burpee for any able-bodied individual. The ability to get up if you fall over for any able-bodied individual, for any human, is great. And then if you're in a wheelchair, the ability to, yes, get back into that chair drastically. I mean, I'm sure you all know this, that like, it gives me goosebumps when it clicks for people who don't think about it in that way um, to know that, okay, I have this new seated athlete who's terrified of being out of their chair because they can't, they don't know how to crawl or to transfer and get back in it. If I were, and I've had athletes like that, I've trained athletes like that. That is the number one priority. That's the number one focus. And once you accomplish that, it, it's like, it's like all of a sudden they just say it with their chest. All of a sudden they're like, yeah, I'm here to work out. It's just confidence. It's just you create an insane amount of psychological empowerment through that, uh, the ability to do that for a seated athlete. And I think that fires me up more than anything about teaching an adaptive movement. Yeah. And on that note, the confidence thing I think is huge. And in the initial phases of rehab, what Amy and myself see a lot is, you know, with the patients, um, they'll start doing physical therapy at the rehab hospital and when they leave, but that doesn't necessarily build confidence. Yes, we give them the ability to perform transfers and things like that, but a lot of times it's just the bare bones basics that they need to try and get back home, um, and when they leave, they never really build up a strong confidence thinking, I can do this, I'm really solid. I mean, I would say that's a very rare instance that that happens, and we don't really have a good bridge at the moment for everybody to take them from you know, the initial physical therapy to being confident in doing even their ADLs, IADLs, like Alec was saying earlier. And that's why I think it's so cool you guys are, are working with the therapists because they're the ones that can make the big change up front and then transferring over to the coaches, right? To take them to that next level, building a little bit of confidence and then going from there to, wow, now I, I know that I can do this. Now I can pack on some, some more movements, more advanced things. And then before you know it, you know, it's a spiral of them getting to a very high level. I yeah, think you're exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Our, our biggest group that have taken and graduated our course is if you lump in all the different type of therapists together, um, our therapists, medical professionals. So, you know, obviously we get trainers, we get gym owners, we get adaptive athletes themselves who just want to learn for themselves and maybe become a trainer. But the, the largest group at like 40% of our uh, graduates are some type of therapists. So we, we are trying to appeal to them. And you know, one way we're doing that is our course um, provides CEUs for at least physical therapists for most states. Um, we're working on the other uh, specialties to get those pre-approved. Um, but that way, at least, you know, if you're taking our course and you want to, you're gonna do it for education, but you're also gonna get some CEUs um, that you can apply towards your licensing. 
Um, so that's, that's a good start there for them. Yeah. And how have things changed now, you know, with the pandemic and everything's oh. different and what, what oh. is, what is the ATA doing? Uh, we've changed, couldn't do more of a 180. So, um, we, we start off as a CrossFit course. And so from that, and, and myself and Kevin Ogar are also on level one seminar staff. So we based our course on a CrossFit level one, it, it flows and it looks and it feels very similar where, you know, we try to do as many practicals and hands-on things as possible and as few whiteboard lectures as we can. Um, but we've always done live seminars, single day live seminars. And then the pandemic hit and <laughs> we literally had a European tour scheduled in April. So in April, we were supposed to go to Milan, Belgium, France, and London. And obviously we couldn't go because Milan was like the epicenter of COVID-19 at the time. Sold out seminars, of course. Yeah. yeah. 30 plus people each seminar. And we're like, oh man, this is not good. And, you know, being, I don't think anybody knew what the effect was going to be so at that time. But so we postponed them until September early. It was supposed to be, uh, actually, you know, we're, we're recording this on uh, a Monday and, and uh, we were supposed to be in Belgium this Wednesday for our postponed course, but we've actually had to cancel those. So we um, went and Logan and I decided to take our live seminar and convert it to an online course. So now all of our education is an online course. And, you know, I, I went through CrossFit to ask, you know, uh, if everybody knows Boz, the, the head judge, he's also kind of in charge of the online course structure. And I talked to him for a while and got his feedback and guidance. And we use the same authoring program uh, to write our online course. And it's cool because it very much feels like a, an interactive site where you're scrolling and things pop up and you can, you can actually click and interact with stuff. And it's not just text on a screen. It's not just a video. We always have video lectures and there's lots of ways to interact and, and relearn a different way uh, the teaching points we're giving you. But Logan and I, you know, bashed our heads against our keyboard for about a month and a half, trying to figure out how to take a live format and put it online and then record over five hours of uh, videos and lectures and demonstrations and then try to figure out how to do editing ourselves. I mean, it was, it was insane. Um, sitting at Logan's, I spent the whole, a whole month and a half in quarantine on, on Logan's counter in Raleigh working on the course together <laughs> and in his garage shooting videos. I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean to toot our own horns here, but like we freaking crushed it. We did in a month and a half, what should have taken six months. And yeah, I never wanted to look at a computer screen again after that. But I mean, it was, it was like 20 hour days. Um, but it was amazing. Yes. What has happened since then, since launching, you know, we're able to do that and we're able to get it out into the internet, uh, on May, in May. And when it went, um, it was it was really cool the the impact that it had the people the pre-registrations and the feedback that we got throughout the course i mean you know everything's a zoom meeting and throughout the course we give you the option to check in with us chat with the staff and, and tell us if you have any questions and the people we've been able to connect with now all over the world i mean everyone those those international attendees have taken our online course um and we made our online course accessible so you know it offers captions for all the videos so hard of hearing can take our course as well and it's just been a really great a really great platform for us now 
we do it in a cohort model. So we guide you through the course. We have developed our certification. So it is now a certification opportunity and uh, we guide you through it. In five weeks total, you become a certified adaptive and inclusive trainer um, with assignments and workshops every week. So uh, that's, that's kind of the new way moving forward, right? With the world the way it is. Um, that's where we are. Uh, we're definitely, you know, eager to get back out on the road. We're eager to just travel man, and just go tell stories, tell stories of all these awesome adaptive programs and gyms and of all the awesome trainers that have graduated and started programs, even in this pandemic and are running really successful ones. Um, and just the, the really cool relationships that individuals have created with the VA in their community. So there's so much to tell that is just, uh, a little bit sad that we're stuck and we can't go tell these stories uh, as well as just get back to, you know, real workshops and clinics and live seminars. Um, but that's, you know, hopefully in, in store for us in 2021. And what's been great for us too is, you know, we, we have a small staff and we're all U.S. and Canada based. So when we travel, we probably, we were planning on doing maybe two European trips a year and trying to hit big geographic areas um, but we can't travel everywhere and it's expensive for us to travel so um, since going online and having this online cohort course you know we've had we've had trainers come from countries I had to look up on Wikipedia because I didn't even know they existed and so you know around the world we're having trainers you know for the first time that never would have been able to take our course because we wouldn't have gone anywhere near where they're from geographically and now we have trainers in the number of countries that are represented have doubled since going online. And it's really great to hear from people that are in remote places. I just had a, um, a Zoom with a guy in uh, Vietnam who is, wants to open a gym and wants to be inclusive and accessible. And, you know, he was asking me questions about how he should, you know, design his bathrooms and all kinds of stuff and the equipment he should get. And I don't think maybe that opportunity that will happen for the people in Vietnam would have happened if we didn't have the online course, you know, he may have not been able to go to a live seminar if we were only able to get to Europe and then maybe to the Middle East or, you know, maybe to Asia in two years or something like that. So, you know, I agree with Logan and, and I, we will do some type of live format again, but I think this online format was great for people who, who can't get to those seminars. Yeah. Well, great work on your end for cranking that out. That's amazing. And so, guys that are listening out here if you have an adaptive athlete come into your gym or somebody that wants to come in you can go take the course you can learn you know these things without having to wait for one of the seminars to come around so jump online and check it out and i kind of want to use this as an opportunity can you tell us um so i'll put this in the show notes but where can people find more information and where can they link up with you guys well uh always at our website uh adaptivetrainingacademy.com um, and then on Instagram, we're really active on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is just at adaptive training. Uh, and you can message us on there. Um, check out if you're interested in the equipment that we offer. Some of this stuff I uh, invented and created and we sell on our website as well. So if you're looking for gear for your facility or if you're an adaptive athlete looking for sports specific stuff, check us out. Yeah, definitely. And I, just to piggyback, um, uh, on what Logan was saying too, um, you can on the, on our website, if you want to reach out to us, if you want to talk to us, if you're listening, you're like, you know what, I would love to just know more about the course or 
I want to know, you know, I have this athlete coming in and I'd like some more guidance. Even if you don't take our course, we're glad, we're happy to help you. So um, on there, you can schedule a Zoom with us. We'll, we can get face-to-face -face virtually, you know, and, and give you some guidance and help. So uh, don't be afraid to reach out to us, email us. You know, Instagram messaging works, but Logan goes through like hundreds of those a day. So you may get lost. Uh, the best thing to do is shoot us an email or, or schedule a Zoom with us. Just schedule a Zoom and we'll, we'll chat with you and we'll help you out. And, and Matt, it's not uh, if uh, an adaptive athlete comes in your gym, it's gonna be when. So, you know, that's Logan was saying, yes. one in four Americans with a disability and because of chronic disease, that's probably only gonna get worse through, you know, amputations through diabetes and all kinds of other things. And then, so your gym really should be prepared. I'm not trying to like do that news scare tactic and like make you go take the course, but really it just makes you a better trainer if you take a course like this. You're gonna be more prepared to work with anybody, not just adaptive athletes, but anyone. Think about somebody in your gym, everybody in your gym that you know, somebody has an injury. There's working through something, whether it's, you know, it's not probably through fitness, it's probably something they did in their everyday life. And now, you know, it's just more difficult for them to do pull-ups or they have a tweaked ankle or something. Let's keep them in your gym, keep them training with their supportive community, keep that healthy routine rather than sitting at home and just taking three weeks off, you know? So our course will help with you that do that as well. We talk about some temporary impairments and how you can use the same strategies you'd use for adaptive athletes on your temporary impaired athletes as well. So it's a very well-rounded type of education. Um, I don't think you would be upset if, you know, I don't, we haven't had anybody take our course and say, you know what, this is not what I expected on the negative side of things. Usually it's like, holy cow, like this was way more than I ever expected to learn um, and, and just be aware of. And have you guys, started in incorporating anything about cognitive impairments is it all physical um yes, some. with cognitive impairments do you mean like intellectual uh impairments or are you talking yeah. about mood yeah. disorders intellectual. Sort of like, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely i think one of our strong suits uh from especially logan and i and the founders of ata is that you know we know we know mainly through uh, trial and error and asking questions from other smart people and doing research, but we also know what we don't know. And so we've tried to find the smartest people, the most knowledgeable people with experience that we can and, and bring them on our team. And so we have a huge advisory network that we lean on heavily for questions and figuring things out. Um, we're working with Kristen Arnold, who is now become our director of education because she's so knowledgeable in her background. She's earning her PhD in education. Um, but she's also um, a mom of a dual diagnosis, Down syndrome and autistic uh, kid. And so she spent you know, her last eight years with him learning what's the best way to get him involved in fitness and other kids, kids in fitness. And so she's our expert in that. And so she's written a whole chapter in the course on um, intellectual disabilities or what we refer to as neurodiverse athletes. And so that, that definitely is covered in the course. And she's a former, uh games athlete and just badass athlete herself too so totally understands the importance of functional fitness with that population also can we talk briefly about because alec you just came back from doing something pretty cool yeah he was <laughs> so home spring playing golf doing crazy you're just you're probably talking some... about judging uh matt frazier right? oh that was pretty cool too yeah, yeah i feel like that was that's kind of worth mentioning yeah like, just... yeah that was pretty amazing yeah being on level one staff um 
I've been judging uh, regionals and uh, games individuals for a long time now. And um, for this year's um, first stage of the games, um, each top 30 athlete got a judge sent to them. So each one had a, a level one staff for the most part sent to them. So, you know, maybe I guess Boz, trust me, I, I guess to send me to Frazier. And so uh, I, I flew out to Nashville and drove out to Cookville. And uh, what was really great was Tia, Claire Toomey was also going to be doing the workouts too, because Shane, her husband is, is they're both of theirs coach. And so um, they ended up doing it at a small little gym just south of Cookville in, in Sparta um, because uh, Mayhem was hosting a level one at the time. And so we had this whole little gym to ourselves. Um, and uh, it, was, it was really amazing to, to judge. And the thing is, they, they really make it easy, those two, because they move so well, right? They're not gonna cut corners. They're not going to try to like test you. They're, they're gonna do the movements and they're gonna do them well. And then it's your job just to really count and make sure you know, push the button when, it's, when they're done. I mean, there's more to that, obviously. And I definitely gave Matt some no reps, but you know, they, they react very easily with that. You know, and I remember briefing Matt and, uh, on the front squat. We're just going over anything that could be judged as wrong or whatever, and we're just talking it through. And I was like, you know, obviously depth is an issue. He's like, oh, don't worry. He's like, I, I can squat more if I go lower than parallel than I can if I try to cut it short. And I was like, oh, this is going to be easy, you know, <laughs> no big deal. So, and in that Fran time, man, I, you know, I knew it was fast, you know, uh, but I didn't realize how fast that was until later that night, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, it seems pretty fast, you know. I couldn't even do that if I had a PVC stick and, you know, I was doing jumping pull-ups. But um, when I saw the, the, you know, 40 second, the second person was 40 seconds away, it was like, oh, man, this guy is something else. So... And the best thing the most impressive thing is that it took you an hour to mention that, by the way, I would have said that right away. First thing, <laughs> tell every person I know. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. How did we not start the with greatest, The greatest things about Matt, Matt and Tia, they're the best athletes in the world and they're the kindest people you could ever talk to. You know, Tia is a sweetheart and Matt is just a, just a dude, just another guy, you know, like he'll say hi to you. He'll talk to you, whatever, you know, he's definitely a competitor. And when, it, when it's time to go, he is on. And so is Tia but they're just the nicest, coolest people to hang out with. And, you know, there couldn't be a better representative for CrossFit at the top than, than those two. Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and I, and I'm actually, I'm going to make sure we talked about that before we stop. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm excited. I get, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to the, the ranch too, to judge the, the last finals too. Wow. That's amazing. So, it'll be, that, it'll is, be that is a privileged judge. Of, sheer terror when you're like like make sure you know the reps make sure you're counting you know <laughs> yeah. like, you do something wrong here you are messing up big time you know i was thinking that when i was judging matt everybody was sending me messages like oh good luck don't mess up i'm like you know there's not i'm not the one working out but i almost feel like if you measure my heart rate it was probably higher than matt's most of the time right like, who's the pressure on here <laughs> if i mess this up you know everybody in the world is gonna know because they're gonna watch one video first it's gonna be matt's <laughs> Yeah, yep. you don't want to be the guy that makes the call that costs him something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. world's most hated man. Yeah, All right. So, anything else that you wanted to cover or say before, that you didn't have a chance to, to talk about? 
Hmm. Well, uh, we'll talk about just, we can give you some quick knowledge here. One of the biggest things I'd hope that our CrossFit community and you, the, the docs here that are listening to be able to spread out to the community is the difference between adapting and scaling. And we really don't care about your, your use of the word as far as like the nomenclature of it. It's more about a term of impairment and empowerment for your athletes. So I think we're all familiar with scaling when it comes to CrossFit, right? Making adjustments to a weight reps, the workout in general, to make sure everybody receives the same stimulus of that workout, whether you're a new athlete, older athlete, whatever. Adapting is very similar in the sense that we're making adjustments to the workout so that that athlete can have the very best workout for themselves, right? So they get the best stimulus of that workout. But the difference there is for an adaptive athlete, it's because they have some type of condition, impairment, that causes a limitation or limitations which affect how they do that movement or that workout as a whole. So if somebody is doing it, if you're changing, let's say a medicine ball weight for wall ball shots for somebody, um, let's say you have a wheelchair athlete and they are gonna use like a 10 pound ball to eight feet for their medicine ball shots, the wall ball shots, then that's an adaptation, not necessarily scaling. Um, similarly, like Logan, if, he, if Logan was a new athlete and he's got one arm and he's gonna do pull-ups, maybe he does ring rows right? Um, now, if you have somebody else doing ring rows, they may be doing ring rows because it's a scale because they can't do pull-ups yet or do that 21-15-9 in Fran. But, you know, you don't want to, what we want to try to avoid is somebody calling an adaptive athlete a scaled athlete or that, that adaptive athlete feeling like they're automatically a scaled athlete and they're kind of on this uh, hierarchy of less than the RX athlete. So, you know, using those terms appropriately and understanding that adapting and scaling are different is, is very important just psychologically for your adaptive athletes. Your adaptive athletes can have their own best version of the workout. They should have their own RX for that workout, right? Just like in, you know, um, let's take like Diane, 2159, 225 deadlift for men. That's just an arbitrary weight at this point. I mean, you just saw in, in, the, in the games, now they're doing 315 because that's the new 225, right? That weight has gone up as athletes get stronger and faster and everything. Um, it's gone down for me. I'm using 185 now. So, <laughs> um, but your adaptive athletes should have their own version. And it's kind of, it's a, it's a moving target that you and, you and the, the trainer and the athlete have to figure out what's best for them, but they should have their own best version and shouldn't be thought of as a scaled, like less than, or that they should be aspiring to the able-bodied standing RX. That should never occur. Logan, do you have anything to say to add on to that? No, that's just a great example of like uh, of one specific teaching point um, of the importance of empowerment that we talk about. And I think these are some of the key things that even if you have 15 years exercise science background, you're a trainer and you work with 10 people with disabilities, um, there's still some subtle um, nuanced education you could get from our course. And I think language, nomenclature and things like this uh, are some things that really make that uh, mission and objective of empowerment through this education um, stand out. I'm really actually happy you mentioned that. That's something that I wanted to touch on and had forgot about. And the thing is, um, is that we can, you know, have athletes in the class who are scaling and those that are adapting and all those people can be taking part in the same CrossFit class. Um, and so especially, you know, in a place where you may not have that many adaptive athletes, it's not like you need to have special class times, things like that reserve. This is all taking part in one class, part of the programming. Um, and the course can teach you how to do that, I'm assuming, right? Exactly. So 
Yeah, exactly. Matt. That's what we, so I run a specialty class that's just for, you know, recreational therapy through the hospital, but that's just for a special program. My, my goal and Logan's and all the trainers we have, we always, if, if you have a group fitness model, then you should be able to have anybody come in your door and take that class, right? Whether they're brand new to CrossFit or they're brand new and they're a wheelchair user or they're Kevin Ogar and they can bench press 450, you know, and he's coming to take your class. Now you can train him too. You just gonna, it's just more knowledge to be able to adjust the workout. We'd like to say, if you want to use a general term so you don't get scared about using scaling or adapting, just use customizing, right? Hey, I'm going to customize this workout for you. Here's the idea of what we want to accomplish today. You know, this is what I think is best for you. What do you think? Good. Okay. Here we go. That's what, that's all what it comes down to. It's that easy. Awesome. All right, Alec, Logan, thanks guys for coming on. This has been amazing. Um, super happy um, for everybody to check this out, especially our physiatry friends. I know we'll nerd out about this um, and all the physical therapists out there. Um, I will plug you guys in the show notes. Guys, check out their website, Instagram. Don't slide in Logan's DMs because apparently it's pretty backed up. Busy. I'd love to give your listeners uh, a coupon code, if, if you don't mind. That way there's a little more yeah. incentive to go. Um, you know, well, our course is $4.99, um, but we can give you guys um, uh, 10% off. Uh, drop that price down just a little bit for you. So um, what do you think? What's a good coupon code for everybody? Docs. We'll make it, we'll make it Docs 10. Docs in the box 10. How about that? Docs in the box 10. So. And guys, if you're a medical professional, you may have an education fund that you can use to take the course. Um, so make sure you look into that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matthew. This has been a pleasure. Total honor. Always, always a good time. Thanks, it really man. is. Okay. Thank you guys. Cool.